Welcome to Finding Your Fierce podcast, sharing lessons and stories about creating the life and business you deserve. With me, your fierce guide, Carolyn Colleen. Carolyn's life story is one of personal and professional transformation. From standing in a food line at the Salvation Army to PhD, Carolyn's life purpose is to provide hope and inspire people to move from fear into focus. After being asked repeatedly to write a book about her experiences, Carolyn published her book, Fierce, Transform Your Life in the Face of Adversity Five Minutes at a Time. Carolyn is passionate about being a great mom of three, living life on purpose, and building sustainable programs for quality cancer care as the program manager of a Midwestern Cancer Center. Please welcome Carolyn Colleen. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm excited to be here. It looks like most of you are in this section over here, so I might come out into the audience and move around a bit. Thank you, ladies, for that introduction. So I'm excited to be here because of what you do and how you serve the community, and I want to be able to give that back to you. So what we're going to do is talk a little bit about what was, what is, and what could be within your roles in the community and what that looks like from this community standpoint and then also within this room and then within the world. First thing I wanna do is ask you a question. What I'd like to do is have you think about this question and before we get too deep into the question, I wanna share with you a parable and how this is going to work is it's going to be sort of interactive. So I'm going to give you some time to be interactive within your tables. And we're going to think about this question, reflecting on a time here on earth, consider a specific example, a story, an experience that you've had that embodies or reminds you of why your work is meaningful, purposeful, or fulfilling. What happened? Why was this meaningful, purposeful, or fulfilling? Now, what we're going to do is think on that question and then I'm going to have you share your answer with a partner at your table. Then I will have you share within the larger group what might have come up. So as you're listening to your partner, listening to what came up as an answer for them, maybe what was unique, what resonated with you, or something that really stood out. So we're going to do that in a minute, but first what I want to do is share with you a parable. So there's a parable that you may have heard of before. It's called the parable of the three bricklayers. How many have heard this parable before? Or at least a version of it? Oh, no one? A couple people. Okay, good. Brave people in the back. Excellent. So there's a story of three bricklayers. There are three bricklayers working side by side, about six feet from each other, doing the exact same work. And they were asked the exact same question. Why are you doing what you're doing? Now, the first bricklayer was asked the question, why are you doing what you're doing? And the first bricklayer answers, well, I'm a bricklayer. That's what I do. That's my job. Fair enough answer, right? The second bricklayer is asked the exact same question, doing the exact same work right next to the other two bricklayers. Why are you doing what you're doing? And the second bricklayer says, well, I'm here laying bricks, fixing this wall. This is my career. This is what I went to school for. I'm a bricklayer. Fair enough answer as well, right? You may resonate with that answer, being in this room today. You're here, maybe gathering some information, connecting with other people, 
in order to further your career? The third bricklayer is asked the exact same question, doing the exact same work. Why are you doing what you're doing? The third bricklayer answers, well, I'm here building this cathedral in order to bring people closer to their creator. All the exact same work, all the exact same question, three different perspectives. Now, before I have you get into pairs and share the answer to this question, I'd like to challenge you to answer and think about this question from the perspective of the third bricklayer. Now, what I want you to do is take a moment to think on this question. I'm going to give you just a minute, and then I'm going to give you a couple minutes to share with one person at your table. You might have to get up and move to another table if you don't have someone to share with, or you could share in threes. And then I'll have a little timer go off, and I'll have you look back up to the front, and I'll have a few brave souls share what might have come up for them. So first, read the question, think about your answer. Second, find a partner to share that answer with. Third, we're going to do a couple, a few group shares with a larger group. Sound good? Okay, before you move, think about the question, and then find a partner, and then we're going to share. As we just take a couple minutes to share an experience that you've had that embodies or reminds you of why your work is meaningful, purposeful, or fulfilling. So you're taking a moment to just share that within your table, within a partner, and giving you an opportunity to have a conversation that's not about sports or the weather. So that was a brief guinea pig moment, actually. So that's part of some of my research is in appreciative inquiry, positive psychology. How do you ask meaningful questions that evoke a conversation with someone you may or may not know in order to have an authentic conversation? So you can steal this, you can take it with you, to ask meaningful questions. All of us have our busy days, right? We go, 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 every day. And sometimes you might ask someone, hey, how are you? And then they say, good. Or you don't even stop to hear what they say because you're running so fast. But when do you get an opportunity to stop, ask a meaningful question, and get a meaningful answer? The connectivity, human connectivity, having an authentic conversation. Why do you do what you do? What is meaningful to you? What I want to do now is pick out a few brave souls who'd like to share maybe something that came up. Who'd like to go first? Who'd like to go second? How about that? Okay, so the reflection, the thing that comes up whenever I do these exercises, because it was that it's rare you get these moments of symmetry like this. So I'm really lucky to have this. So I was working with a family that was homeless at the Salvation Army, and it was a family of four. Both the kids were really young, they had another on the way, and that was a whole thing, like a homeless family. And I had a landlord that was going to work with me that was in the process of renovating a unit on the south side. And he's like, okay, we can go and talk about it, talk about your program and how we might be able to make this work. Pretty normal interaction normally, go out and meet people. But then he said, oh yeah, we're in, still in the process of renovating it. There's a lot of construction going on. My team is still there working on it. I'm like, oh, that's fine. I show up and lo and behold, the person who is leading the renovation team is a fellow that I had worked with when he was homeless on the street, like maybe a year prior. 
a colleague and I had met him at probably charitably could be called his like rock bottom. You know, he was malnourished. He had been living out in the woods and it was a whole thing. And, you know, a colleague and I kind of helped him sober up a little bit, helped him get into a facility. Claire, he succeeded. He worked really hard. We talked on the phone a lot. It was, we were really involved with him through that whole process. And then kind of lost contact while he continued on his recovery journey. And then he just shows back up in front of me, renovating this house that I'm trying really hard to help get this family out of shelter, hopefully have their own kind of transformational change. It was just great. Like I hugged him because we hadn't seen each other since a few weeks after he got out of recovery. So it was a really interesting symmetrical moment and it's a really small world. So anyway, yeah. Very good. Thank you. Who else would like to share? Well, I just heard from a student on LinkedIn that I had first year when I was first year teaching and I was single and he needed a place to stay after school because his mom was working. And I said, you just stay after school with me, help me out. And so he did. I bring snacks for him and we related really well. And he did a great job that first year. And I didn't know at the time he was homeless. He never told me he was homeless, but he sent me a LinkedIn like message just about a week ago and he said, you didn't know this, I was homeless. You made such a difference in my life. And now I'm a college admittance person for the University of Arizona and I help people like that. Thank you. One more, one more story to share. Any? Don't fight over it. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm young, probably younger than all of you. So I don't really have a professional story to tell, but thinking about myself as a student and as a child growing up in a home that was difficult with lots of challenges and not feeling very supported and then going to school and looking for that shred of stability or someone to make me feel like I had meaning in the day and not being able to find that. I think what I go into every day hoping is that I can give the opportunity to a kid who's feeling the way I felt in that time and that really gives me meaning because I see myself in all the kids that have those struggles so any way that I can help them means a lot to me. Excellent, thank you. So I wanna kinda take a moment and appreciate those who shared, so thank you. And again, it's an opportunity to get circled back to why we do what we do. I wanna get a pulse of the room. Now, how many people in this room are parents? Excellent, now how many people in the room have at least been exposed to a child in some way? Okay, you've seen a child at some point, right? Okay, so, I wanted to kind of make sure that we had everybody on the same page. So we have parents, we have people who have at least seen a child in some capacity. How many people have heard a child crying for at least five minutes inconsolably? Now you may have heard that child crying because it's yours voluntarily, or you may have been caught on an airplane with a child crying. You've heard that too, right? Involuntarily. Imagine being exposed to the crying of a child for 87,633 minutes. You might be a little tired, huh? Maybe a little exhausted? That was me as a young mother with a colicky baby who had not stopped crying for two months. There I was, young mom, not quite sure what to do, exhausted. And at about four in the morning, I hadn't slept for a few days. At four in the morning, I uh, didn't think I could handle much more, and I started to pray. I started to pray to anyone who might listen, please send me a sign, because I'm about to break, and I don't think 
I can handle much more. And as the sun came out of the sky, my daughter stopped crying. She looked into my eyes as if she was looking into my soul, saying to me, I'm your sign. And in that moment, I realized what unconditional love was. That wasn't always the definition of love that I had. Here's me, age four, same curly, fluffy hair, same chubby cheeks. My definition of love and the foundation of what it meant to me started at age four, when my teenage neighbor sexually molested me and continued to do so for the duration of time that I lived next door. My definition of love was built on growing up in a household with a mother who struggled with mental health and a father who worked on the road and didn't live in our home most of my upbringing. In an environment that I understood, I was adopted, I cost $10,000, and then I had to earn my keep. Growing up in a roller coaster environment where some days were great and some days were really bad. My mother's coping skills were hoarding. So if you think about growing up in a home where you're about nine years old and you have a path from your bathroom to your bedroom and the hordes come up to your armpits as you walk to get to the bathroom. And as you're walking, you smell raid cockroach spray and a scatter of a mouse or five. This is the environment that I grew up in. Now here's my little sister. She was born from my mother and my father, so not adopted. The birth of my sister did not help the mental state of my mother. My mother had 17 miscarriages before she had my sister. And out of love, my mother would invite people who were down on their luck into our home. People were homeless. And some of those people appreciated the love that my mother extended and were very happy to have a warm place to sleep and a meal. Now, some of those people sought to abuse that love. And my little sister, I would teach her how to play hide-and-go-seek in the hordes. You would think for fun, but I taught her how to play hide-and-go-seek in which to protect her from the people who sought to abuse us, seeking to steal her innocence, offering myself in her place. Now, as children do, we grew. We grew and we grew, and I had my very, very first boyfriend. Now, how many people remember their first crush, their first love? Could have been like, you know, second grade, maybe you were chasing each other on the playground, or maybe it was in high school. You had your very first boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> I had my very first love, and I had skewed expectations. I thought that relationship was going to save me from the environment I grew up in. But of course, we broke up. That's how it happens. But for someone who had a skewed identification of love, I felt the void of love. Combining my home environment, being a teenager, which you cannot pay me to repeat, and breaking up with my first boyfriend. I found myself in the middle of an emergency room, surrounded by providers seeking to shove a tube down my throat to remove the 25 sleeping pills I took in which to try and numb the pain. I came home from my 72-hour hold into our bedroom no bigger than a closet, and there's my little sister standing, angry, crying, and she said to me, don't you ever leave me. And as I crouched down to hug her and we cried, 
I promised her I'd never leave her again, and I didn't. But that didn't mean I stopped running. And I ran right into the arms of a man who reflected my self-worth. I became pregnant and married. Now, my husband, he loved me so much that he'd monitor my food intake so that I would stay thin and still attractive to him. My spouse loved me so much that he'd monitor my time in five-minute increments. And if I were to deviate from that time, he would require an inspection. And upon passing that inspection, he'd reward me with his passion because being married is consent. My husband loved me so much that he promised me if I were to ever think of leaving, he would end my life and then his own so we could be together forever. That was my definition of love. Until that moment when my daughter challenged my definition of love and I evolved. When my husband was away at work, we escaped and I jumped right out of the circle of abuse directly into the circle of poverty, and there I was, standing in line at the Salvation Army, waiting for food. I know many of you in this room understand those two circles I speak of. And the thing is, standing there, surrounded with fluorescent lights, my little girl thinking, is this my life? Is this really my life? Now, an endearing person said to me, It's okay, Carolyn, you can get through this. You can do this. Just take it one day at a time. But when you're struggling with PTSD, you're struggling with anxiety, you are paralyzed with overwhelm. One day is too much. And I had to break it down. I had to break it down into five minutes at a time. Could take a deep breath, focus on the goal, smile, fake it till I made it so I didn't scare my daughter to figure out a way to push forward. I found that as I stacked those five minutes, five soon turned into 10, soon turned into 15, and I could get through a whole day registering for school, working sometimes 60 to 70 hours a week while going to school full-time without child support, grinding to claw myself out of the situation that I had gotten myself into. Sometimes you have to borrow the love you have for another person until your self-love catches up, and that's exactly what I did. I didn't love myself enough, but I sure loved my daughter. And sometimes people ask, what is it that made you make that change? Because there's that piggyback, back and forth. You go back, you go back, you come out, you get away, you come back. What is it that made you decide that you're going to leave and you're going to stay away? And what it was is thinking about that circle of abuse, the statistics behind it, and being able to look my daughter in the eyes when she's 19, could I give her away to her father? Absolutely not. So I fought and I fought in which to also escape the circle of poverty. And what I learned is that as my definition of love along this journey evolved, I too evolved. I went from standing in line at the Salvation Army waiting for food, patching together food pantries, right here in La Crosse, Wisconsin, to many lines today, giving food. I've gone from seeking advice from a PhD in which to save my life, to becoming a PhD, to save the lives of many. I went from holding my little girl at two months old, scared, and tears running down my face, to releasing my little girl here 
on her first day of college, with tears coming down my face, trying to hide them and not embarrass her in front of her friends. And I realized that as she walked away, the only thing this little girl had to worry about was how to get to Target to buy ramen noodles. Here's my little sister and her son, my nephew. He's 11 now. We live about 10 miles away from each other. And people will ask me as well, okay, what, 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 what happened? What did you do? It was a choice. There were many choices that I had to make, not smart ones. There's a lot of mistakes that I've made in my short lifetime. But I chose to go five minutes at a time and build the resilience. So you can do something that you hate or you're afraid of the unknown for five minutes. And soon enough, that five minutes turns into 10, turns into 15. And you're building resilience, making that active choice. So I made the active choice to choose a path for my daughter until my self-love caught up. So today, what I want to do is teach you that method, that method that I created out of survival, and now thousands of people use it in which to get more of what they want and less of what they don't. So you ready? And play along a little bit. So this model is the core of what I've created from that moment of building five minutes. So here's the first step, breathing. Here's what I discovered. How many people when they were growing up had a parent or someone who cared about you when you were maybe five years old and angry and said, just take a deep breath. Have we heard this before? Turns out that modern science meets ancient wisdom. Breathing, it's something we might forget to do. However, in 2017, Harvard came out with a study sharing that we have 175 brain cells that are stalking our breath, and then they react accordingly. If you're holding your breath, your mind shuts down to be able to retain and take in new information, compared to if you're taking a deep breath, it opens your mind in which to process information. Focus on a goal, perhaps. So that's what I want you all to do. Go ahead, sit up. And I want you to breathe in for seven and out for 11. In for seven, out for 11. I want you to do that for a total of three times. In for seven, out for 11. Now this is also reducing your blood pressure, but most importantly, it's opening your brain, your mind, to be able to think. So that's B for breathe. One more thing. There's three things, three steps. F for focus is the next one. Focus. So what I want you to do is think about just one thing that you want to accomplish. One goal. It could be a goal for today. It could be a goal for the next week. It could be a lifetime goal. Think about one goal. In that moment, my one goal was to keep it together, to smile, so that my daughter was not afraid with all the different things going on. So thinking about one goal focus. And the last one is F for fierce action. Now this is key because it's not just action, it's fierce action, meaning how do you take what's holding you back and use it as fuel to push you in the right direction? Now there's people who have been through very similar things as I have. What, my story is not unique. However, being able to take that anger, that anxiety, that fear and ball it up and use it as fuel to push you in a positive direction. That's what I did. You know that feeling in your gut when you're angry or 
even that feeling of procrastination, you know you should be doing something, you're not doing it, or that feeling of anxiety, overwhelm, or the fear of the unknown, those feelings that kind of get right here in your tummy. How do you use that emotion to push you in a positive direction rather than a negative one? That's where fierce action comes in. You can do that. You can push yourself in a positive direction for at least the next five minutes, at least the next five minutes. So that's breathe, focus, fierce action, BFF, your new best friend. You're welcome. I want you to realize that you've done this, you're doing this, your students are doing this, your clients are doing this, you've done this before. Breathing, focusing, and action is not something that I invented, but put in the proper order, you can get more of what you want and less of what you don't and build resilience. Think about when you decided, when you got done with high school, what you were going to do. Were you going to go to school? Were you going to get a job, get an apartment? You did this. You had to take a moment of clarity, identify the goal, and take action. When you decided to ride a bike, you had to identify the goal, take a deep breath, get a moment of clarity, take action. When you decided to be in a relationship or not be in a relationship, you had to take a moment of clarity, identify the goal, and take action. You've all done this. I have people who share, for example, kids in high school will share about bullying. And after I share how to use this tool, they said that they've used this in which to get through the five minutes in the hallway. There's one specific girl who came up to me and said, I use this because she was on the verge of not being able to complete school because of all of the fights she was getting into. And she's getting into fights because she's being bullied. So she would take a moment of clarity before class. There's five minutes in between class. She'd take a moment of clarity, take a deep breath, and she would put her arms across her chest and she would push through to the next class, keeping her arms to herself, not retaliating with the people that were bullying her as she usually did by punching them, fighting back, and just pushed through the hallway to get to her next class. Here's my family today. My daughter, she's going to be 21 in January. And then my two boys from my second marriage, Dylan and Elliot. And I want to share that even a seven-year-old can do this. So you can do this. So my son, Elliot, is autistic. And we were at his brother's birthday party. And he decided that he wanted to hit his brother with a skateboard. They weren't playing with him. Well, in the mind of an autistic kid, it makes sense. So he took the skateboard, hauled back to hit his brother with it. And from across the yard, I said, Elliot. And he stopped. He had a moment of clarity. He remembered he didn't want to be on timeout for the rest of the week. And he put the skateboard down and ran away. So even a seven-year-old can do this. Taking a moment of clarity, identifying the goal, and taking action. I had another high school student who shared with me he struggles with, he is autistic and he struggles. I shared that story with him. He came up to me afterward. He's like, this is awesome. I can use this. Because what's going on in my mind, I'm thinking, one, there's people making fun of me. They might be. But how can I be the best version of myself, not react to what I think people might be saying about me, take a deep breath, and take action to continue to try and be the best version of me, not related to what's going on on the outside. I've had a woman come up to me and share that she uses this with social anxiety. She's an entrepreneur, and she has to connect with people, but she has social anxiety before she goes into something like this. She takes a deep breath. She identifies her goal that she wants to be able to connect with a few people. And 
what happened? She was able to get through five minutes at a time, removing and forgetting the social anxiety and being able to be successful in that moment. Soon enough, the time went very fast. So this is a tool that you can use, and it can be used in many different ways in which to take back to your students, take back to your home life, take back to your clients, breathing, taking a moment of clarity, identifying the goal, and taking action. So today, I use this in many different ways. I use it between the car ride home from work and going to my next place I need to be, which is with my family, because they don't really care if you had a good day or a bad day, nor do they need to. But how do you reset and be the best version of yourself within that moment? So I wanted to just share, that is the core of what I teach now internationally. And the proceeds of my book all go back to mental health and social services. And that's how I give back. So I want to say thank you today for having me. And I want to also have you think about how you will continue evolve, to evolve throughout the rest of today and on through your career as you go home to your home life using this tool and also questioning and continually thinking how you've evolved. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Finding Your Fears podcast. Be sure to hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. Please share this episode with someone who might want a little more fierce in their life. And for more information about how we can work together, go to carolyncolleen.com. Talk to you soon.